She likes that kind of police procedural serial TV show. I, I enjoy them. It's not maybe my favorite, but something we can watch together is it's always nice to have something you can enjoy together. So I watched 24, but in the same way I watch a lot of things, I was actually just picking it apart. <clears throat> One of the things I noticed about 24 was the end of the first season, like the last episode, the big moment is when the helicopter shows up. And then season two, the show had gotten so popular, they had helicopters relatively regularly. One of the, one of the things I did was look up how much a helicopter costs. Um, not buying a helicopter. The, the cheapest helicopter is like $100,000. That's for like a little bubble with a rotor on the top. To rent a helicopter for a movie costs about $300 an hour. So I, that's the kind of thing. It's, it's interesting to know like how much money can they spend on the show? And then the second season, like I said, helicopters became not common, but regular. So every like three or four episodes, you could have a helicopter in it. By the third or fourth season, they weren't driving cars anymore. They were just taking helicopters everywhere. And one of the seasons when I'd really lost interest, because, you know, it got kind of repetitive. But one of the seasons when I really started to lose interest uh, they had Harrier jets come down and stuff and people like zip lining from helicopters. And I, you could see how much money they had per episode was a bit insane. had a conversation with a coworker and I, one of the other interesting things I learned about money in TV shows, Star Trek, the next generation, the old Star Trek show. They had, for every uh, space battle or every like episode, they went onto another planet or something where they shot like outside or in like a field or anything like that. For every two or three of those, they had to have one whole episode on the ship. So basically on the soundstage only to save money. And then the very last episode is when they had like a big space battle because that's where all the CG money went. But they kind of over the course of the season had to plan out like, hey, we're going to spend this much season, this much money on this episode, this episode, this episode. Oh man, that's a lot of money. We need to save some money. We'll have one where it's entirely on the bridge in the engineering room, which is our sound studio next door. So that's neat. So like the fact that they have X amount of shows 100% on the ship was actually a money-saving thing. And the writers had to sit down and think, like, oh, we've actually gone to planets too much. We have to stay in the ship this time. So we have to make our story revolve around, yeah, engineering, let's say. 
It's not actually what this was about. This was not about like how TV shows and stuff spend money. It was a noticeable difference in uh, Japanese heroes and Western heroes. So Jack Bauer, whenever he got in the car, when he was with other people like a partner or someone else, he would get in the driver's seat and drive away. And my wife asked me why. I said, what do you mean why? He's the hero. The hero drives the car. He said, well, in Japan, it's different. I was like, what? He's like, well, in Japan, the hero is the more important character. So the other character who would sort of be beneath him in the hierarchy of whatever, like usually, these are police shows, so it's usually like a senior inspector or whatever. The junior guy drives, and the higher level guy, usually the hero, sits in the passenger seat or the back. I was trying to figure out, like, what does that tell you? So, like, the Japanese one's pretty clear. It's based on hierarchy. Like, the more important person does not drive the car because they're more important. Uh, they can spend their time, I assume, thinking about important things or solving the crimes in their head. They can do almost intellectual tasks while the car's being driven, unless it's a car chase. But then I, yeah, the, the car chases. The show we were watching, so I just kind of stumbled around my head a bit. The show we were watching basically the, the really genius detective was an older guy. And then the younger guy they paired him with was sort of the active one. So if someone had to be like beat down, it was the young guy beat him down. Uh, if there was a car chase, the young guy would drive the car in a very dramatic way, that kind of stuff. But it showed that there was a mentality, like the important person doesn't drive. The hero, therefore, would not drive the car. Whereas Jack Bauer, every time he got in a car, he drove. And I was like, well, what does that say about Western things? And I was like, ah... This shows that he's in control. That the hero in the Western story gets in the car and drives because he's the person in control of what's going on. And that's what we want to see. We don't want to see our heroes sort of losing control of anything. And so whenever there's a problem, the Western hero like grabs the wheel in any situation. So they just suddenly take over. But I realized like, there's all those movies and things with kids in it. And the kids end up being in places they're not supposed to be. So it's like the war room or the planning room or something like that. And the kids are there and really the question is why? Because no child would be allowed into a military facility planning staging area. Uh, and yet those kids come in and they kind of take control of the, the conversation. They always end up telling the adults what they have to do and stuff. And I realize that's just like, for us, that is the heroic thing. And then that relates to Detective Conan, which was actually dealing with that problem because the whole point of Detective, of Detective Conan, the Japanese comic, he's an adult detective who was shot with uh, some kind of magic uh, elixir that made him a child again. And the problem there is that he knows that no one's going to listen to a child. Again, because of the hierarchy in Japan or just because it's actually a bit more reasonable than Western things where they try to pretend that anyone, a general, would stop and go, let's take this 12-year-old's opinion into consideration when talking about how to battle aliens. So Detective Conan, to get around this, uh, he usually is partied with an actual detective who is mediocre. He's certainly not the star of the show, but... He is now, because Detective Conan keeps solving crimes, but the detective policeman gets credit for it, he's, you know, rising in importance and ranks in the police force. But what actually happens, Detective Conan 
uses like a blowgun or a dart or something and shoots him in the neck with uh, something to make him fall asleep. He sits down and falls asleep and then Detective Conan hides behind the chair and like, I think he has a device, but he speaks through him and then tells everyone what needs to be done using the voice of authority. My first thought, if I'm being really honest, is that that guy who's getting drugged apparently weekly it can't be good for him. It can't be good. His liver must be shot. But then I thought, oh, he's a Japanese guy. He's probably drinking constantly. His liver's only got like a couple years left anyways. Uh, and then this magic serum that Detective Conan got, maybe you could just inject that into the guy's liver, freshen that up a bit. So it was just an interesting point of Japanese heroes will tend to get in the passenger side, whereas their partner would actually drive the car based on sort of the hierarchy in Japanese society. Whereas in the West, the hero will take, will get in the driver's seat and drive the car because they're in control of the situation, is my thinking. If you think otherwise, I would actually like to hear your opinion. Uh, but it was an interesting cultural point that we got from watching 24 I don't know, like a decade ago. We watched that. It's been a long time. I forget now. We actually used to go to the video store and rent a DVD, which had like four episodes on it. That feels like a different world. Next, Velocipodcast. If it's really long, it's going to be a C. McBee. I'm going to talk about Steven Seagal again. This is like a little preview of the world. Again, I'm, I'm only getting back into the jive, the, the rhythm of actually making stuff and writing down ideas and having ideas. I watched a movie, and it, it does all the things I, I hate. So last week, last Velocity podcast, I talked about uh, being tricked, sort of, by people putting Jackie Chan and Chow Yun-Fat on the cover of movies that they weren't actually in. Now, I caught on pretty quickly, and I watched those movies anyways, primarily to see how much of that was true. Like, were they in it for five seconds or five minutes or what? How did they actually, you know, set this up so they could justify putting the name on the title of the box? And then Steven Seagal, there's been a couple movies now where he clearly goes in and films for a day or two. Uh, and then the actual movie is made with a different group of people. It's like ex-pro wrestlers or other people, probably just his friends. Uh, and they sort of run around forests and shoot things at each other or whatever. Um, and then the, it cuts to Steven Seagal. Usually, so there was, I'm thinking of a particular military movie. I can't remember the title. It's a sniper movie. It's probably just called Sniper. Um, he spends most of that movie sitting in a chair. And then he goes up to a wall and then shoots... Uh, apparently his rifle has no recoil. I'm going to do a whole Twitch stream on Steven Seagal someday uh, and just pull up all the stuff I'm talking about so people can actually see it. Podcasting is great, but the visual element is something that I've already been like, oh, I could show this and show this and show this. So I'm going to have maybe other streams and those other streams are going to have extra, just the primarily visual stuff that I can't do on the podcast because I have to describe it. But it's a pretty strong visual, the idea of Steven Seagal sitting in a chair, because you can uh, imagine that without too much trouble. Bruce Willis has hit the same thing. He still makes good movies every now and then, and I don't know if that's through any fault of his own. 
uh, I watched a movie and I downloaded it because I th- actually thought it was a different movie. I was actually looking for all the movies that had come out in 2020 uh, that weren't in theaters or weren't available. And I was just going to watch all the 2020 movies that I missed because I couldn't see them. And then I sort of went into 2021 because early 2021 movies were all out there. And he does some kind of science fiction movie, which I haven't actually seen yet. But there was another science fiction movie up at the same time. And this sort of fits into that Jackie Chan thing where they, they change the title or they put the, the cover on the image would have been similar. Uh, and it, it was one of the – he was in it. Uh, but it was one of the singularly worst movies I've ever seen. It breaks all the rules that I would have for a good movie. And this is ironic because I've actually seen two movies since that break those rules but do a way better job and actually are pretty good movies. It, first of all, the main character is not Bruce Willis. He is a gruff janitor, basically. And uh, they're all leaving this planet and some virus gets on and turns people into sort of zombies. I think I'm really done with zombies, to be honest. Uh, still playing zombie army, which is different. Shooting them's fun. Watching people do it isn't as fun as it used to be. Uh, and he he plays what I assume his real character is like. It's not an acting. It's Well, he's never much of an actor, but it's not acting. It's just Bruce Willis. So this is the two rooms in a hallway version of a movie where they have a couple rooms in a hallway and we're going to run down the... Ooh, I just hit the mic. We're going to run down the hallway at different angles, put the camera in different places, and it'll look like a really big ship. And then we'll go to the, the, the two, three rooms we've set up. And in those rooms, we'll just rearrange stuff. And that'll be like our mess hall and our, our kitchen and the, the dining room or whatever. So it's cheap. Cheap doesn't bother me. Cheap without a good plan. Because if you have a set that that's small, that claustrophobic, you have to do something with it that's interesting. Having zombies shamble around isn't that interesting anymore. So there's a moment, and it made me realize Bruce Willis probably in that film was in the same situation where he, but he's not a cheap guy. So Steven Seagal's cheap. I mean, if you're going to talk acting, a recognizable name actors, Bruce Willis is going to be very, very much on the cheap end of acting. But if you talk about Bruce Willis, he's not. So the only story I know about his sort of pay scale, when they asked him to be in one of the Expendables movies, he said they wanted to offer him like 2.5 or $2.7 million for three days work. And he said, no, a million dollars a day or I won't do it. And Stallone was like, no, we're not doing that. That's just greedy. Um, and so Bruce Willis was never in The Expendables, I don't think. I have seen them, but I only remember bits. I remember Jean-Claude Van Damme is a bad guy, which I really enjoyed. If they had a million dollars for one day shooting, I mean, because he's not really acting, he never really has, it wouldn't be difficult for him to do one day of just do these lines. They just feed him the lines as they do it, and he just does it in his regular gruff attitude, and he laughs every now and then, and he looks... But there was no sense of actual reality because he was not he was this was just phoning it in this would actually be a good exercise for young people who want to be actors or work with actors or be in 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 theater or anything to see what phoning it in looks like because he stood there and there was just nothing behind any of it but that's it if you had a million dollars to pay bruce willis to be in your movie you could have gotten a cheaper name, not Steven Seagal, 
probably for $500,000 and taking that other $500,000, put it into your special effects, put it into some other aspect, the set, uh, the design, sound design, something to make your movie pop more. And that would be, I feel, a better movie. Uh, but I guess the opportunity to have Bruce Willis in your movie means more people are going to watch the movie because the name Bruce Willis is at the top. It's essentially how I got it, although I thought I was getting a different movie. But you can, as far as I'm seeing, that Bruce Willis is now hitting Steven Seagal territory. He's gonna, he, he doesn't care about the quality of his films. He doesn't care if they're good or not. He just is out there to do the work and get paid. Samuel L. Jackson is in a lot of movies. But he is in consistently good movies, and he works really hard, and he acts. Bruce Willis is in a lot of movies. He doesn't care about the quality of the movie, and he just does whatever he wants, and it's fine. And that, to me, is the difference. Samuel L. Jackson is a good actor. Samuel L. Jackson is in a lot of movies because of his professionalism. Bruce Willis is in movies because of name recognition of things he used to do. I had in my head someone else who's hit the same territory, but now it's, it's gone now. I should have said it when I thought of it or wrote, written it down. The difference, as far as I can see, oh, it's Robert De Niro. <laughs> Robert De Niro has been in some of the lamest, worst films I've seen in years. Uh, he clearly, at this point, does not care about the quality of the film he's in. Uh, I've actually gotten to the point where if Robert De Niro's in a movie, I am less likely to see it than if he's not in it. So you know how there's like, I would see that movie because this is actors in it. They actually say that age has passed when you would see a movie because there's a a specific actor in it. That's sort of what an A-list actor used to be. Like Will Smith is still kind of there. If Will Smith is in a movie, you're going to take interest in the movie. Uh, I actually think uh, Matt Damon might be similar. If he's in a movie, you'll actually look at them. Maybe you won't go see it, but you'll be interested in the movie because they're in it where that age they're talking about is kind of gone. Because it used to be like, this actor, Cary Grant, is in this movie, so everyone's just going to see this movie because Cary Grant's in it. That's it. That was all they needed to sell the movie. Cary Grant's name connected to a film means X amount of box office sales. We had that for a while. It seems to have faded away. And again, I think it's a lot to do with streaming and a lot to do with these lame projects people take on. Robert De Niro, though, has hit the exact opposite for me. If Robert De Niro's in a movie, I am less likely to see the movie because I think... I'm pretty sure it's going to be bad. And you'd actually have to convince me otherwise before I actually watch the movie. Steven Seagal and Bruce Willis seem to be hitting the same level, although Bruce Willis is still making accidentally a good film every now and then. Um, But I don't think Bruce Willis is producing them. And that, again, is the difference. There's a a movie called Attrition that I'm going to get to. Maybe if I can next week, I'll do my, my Steven Seagal Spectacular of 2021. Lockdown edition. Uh, he wrote the film and he produces almost every movie he makes. So not only is he in them and so picking up that star paycheck, he's producing it. So if it makes any money, he gets the first cut because sometimes actors don't get paid if they get paid off the profits. That's the creative accounting they talk about. I think Bruce Willis is on his way the day he starts producing his own bad movies. So if he produces a movie and is good, I actually would still be like, okay, he's still got a sense of what a good movie is. But if he starts producing movies and the movie is bad, then I think we have actually hit a point where Steven Seagal and Bruce Willis have hit the same tier of actor. The loss of 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 the loss
Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies. It, weirdly, I just realized my ears are not... <laughs> Sorry, my ears are not even, so my glasses actually angle on my face. One of the mistakes of having your own face on the screen while you do this is you actually start paying attention to your own face, which I never wanted to do. So just as an extra, I was cleaning off my phone, and there were two extra little things I found. And the first is uh, the announcement over the PA when it was time to go to bed. So this was like 9.30, if I remember correctly. It was lights out. And basically... I haven't gone to bed at 9.30 for years and years and years, so it was really weird to have this, like, announcement that it was now bedtime. In episode 255, called Japanese Hospital, I gave the whole story, and then there was a couple days where I was unable to sleep because a man snored so loud. Now, people... Assume I'm exaggerating to a degree, but then, of course, I did record some of it, which I'm sure is a violation of privacy of some sort, but uh, I'm going to play you this. This is the gentle snore. I didn't get the actual, like, really harsh one that he did, but this is the one that you were met with most of the time, and actually, after a while, could kind of, you know, survive, but then he would switch it up every time. I think he changed positions, but I, of course, couldn't go over and check. So just so you're ASMR from a Japanese hospital. <laughs> 